Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, we're going to take our reading from uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, from the 16th verse. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, from the 16th verse. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible says, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. And ye are in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Somebody shout, Amen. Amen. In my conversations with the Father, He took me to a place and asked me a very, very powerful question and this is how uh, it was he said on the day when Jesus Christ was on the cross how many people present knew what heaven was doing both those which hated him and loved him alike both those which agreed with him and disagreed with him, both those which had pity on him and those that wanted him crucified. How many people on the day Jesus Christ was on the cross actually understood what heaven was doing? Somebody shout hallelujah. Because in the way of knowing, in the way of knowing, and I'll say this wonderful truth, in the way of knowing, there are places that give you the right to know in God. Okay? I'll give you a few. One, the authority of the office in which a man is called gives them the grace and right to know certain things that pertains to the things of God because of the office sometimes we're called into. Like a pastor is given the grace to know certain things because he's called in the office of the pastor. Like an evangelist knows certain things because he's called in the office of the evangelist. Like the prophet knows certain things or has right and access to certain realities and truths in the spirit, not because he is acquainted by revelation and experience to those things, but because he is in the office of a prophet. It is the same with the apostolic. 
that there are things that are accessible by the apostolic, not by reason of the fact that they are experiential in revelation to the apostle, but because the office of the apostle attracts those things. And that's the sanity Paul the apostle lives and moves with when he says that I myself beat my flesh to subjection, least after I have preached this gospel, I myself will not be disqualified. Why is he emphasizing the place of not being disqualified? Because it's possible to be disqualified in the assumption that that which is revealed through the office is the experience of reality and revelation for the individual. So it is possible for out of the apostolic spirit to give that which is not revealed. And that is why he says, I'll not speak several things which Christ has wrought by me that I might make the Gentile obedient in word and deed. Somebody shout hallelujah. So there are things that are accessible by reason of the right of the office and calling. In the Old Testament, we had priests. That was an office. In the Old Testament, we had kings. Wasn't that an anointing too? That the kingly was an anointing. Hallelujah. The priestly was a what? Was an anointing. So when you look at such graces in the Old Testament dispensation, and I want you to note this, that before Jesus Christ is dead and raised from the dead, we were living or they were living under the Old Testament. Do you agree? They were living under the Old Testament. Somebody shout amen. So in that testament, there is a man called Caiaphas, which was the high priest. You recall? And the Bible says, being high priest that year in John eleven fifty one, he says, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, being high priest that year. Not because he understood what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was, but because he sat in the office that had right to know the purpose of God in that dispensation. So is it written anywhere that Caiaphas followed the Lord Jesus, even though it was revealed to him that that man should die for that nation? Perhaps the reality is that the realm of revelation that comes to Caiaphas only goes as far as the death for that nation, but he never understood the result of that sacrifice to the world. No, he knows that one man should die for the whole world. He knows it. You see? So there is knowledge that comes by right of the office. Two, there is knowledge that comes by reason of association with them which have walked with God. That even though you have no right to, you sit with one which has the right to. Lot learned how to build wealth under Abraham. Lot was not instructed in the way of wealth. He walked with Abraham, a poor man, from the time he left their kin and kith. Praise the Lord. But when he went with him, the Bible says, when Abraham increased, Lot increased also. Somebody shout hallelujah. But you see, the scriptures say, Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks, had and tents. Lot also. So Abraham is blessed of God, and Lot also. So the blessing on Lot is because he has learned from a man which has access. Somebody shout hallelujah. The children of Israel used to have access to the things of the spirit 
because of the high priest which went into the Holy of Holies. Incense was burned. And it used to come out and permeate through the holy place and the outer court. And they had the experience of the glory of God because there was a man which was relating with God. So there are also things that a man can easily access by reason of association. Somebody shout hallelujah. God had not called Elisha to carry the mantle of Israel as a chariot and horseman. But when he comes in contact with a chariot and the horseman of Israel, he is connected to a certain knowing. Somebody shout hallelujah. Three, there is a knowledge that comes through personal experience with God. Personal experience with God. Personal experiences with God. See, there's that kind of knowledge that comes through personal experiences with God. It's not by reason of association. It's not even by reason of the office, but it's by reason of how available a man is. That's why I've always mentioned that there is a place for available men. All right? So that which comes through experience, personal experience and revelation, that also has its weight and influence in the spirit. It has its glory too. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when I say that in conversation with the father, I'm not talking about the other two. I'm talking about this one. I'm talking about this one. Because it's a realm, it's a window. God can grant it to you. You can walk and live in the light of that glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is what they call hearing God. Hearing God is the grace that goes beyond that which comes to you by office. The grace that goes beyond that which comes to you by association. But that grace that comes when your heart is aligned to hearing from God directly. To receive a spiritual experience of God personally instructing you. And I mean that the other three go down and speak. He speaks in all of those things. But the conversation is more intimate when it's here, when it's experiential. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so the word of God starts to become an experience. It's not just an abstract thing. It's not just a story. It's not just like you're reading the newspapers. No, it becomes an experience. And let me tell you, not many people live there. And that is why we say things that God, we assume, has said and God has not said. And sometimes you ask people, if indeed God said it, why has it not worked if it's God who spoke? Why doesn't it come with the results that it should come with if it is indeed what God spoke? That is why I'm not saying this boastfully. I'm saying this in knowledge, that there are things you will hear from me you will never read in any book, you will never hear on any CD. Not because I'm special, but I found that place. And any man can find that place if you know how to seek. So, in that conversation, I'm in the experience where I'm taken to the cross. And he asks me, how many people that day at the cross understood what I was doing? Did John understand? Did Peter understand? Did Mary fully understand? The Bible says that those that were there mocked at him. In fact, the scriptures say, even the guy at the cross mocked him. You know, there's another guy with him on the cross, but he is mocking at him. 
How many people understood what was being done in that experience when Christ is at the cross? Then they put the deeper cloth of vinegar and put it on his lips. Let us see him save himself from that cross. How many really understood what Jesus was doing? The answer is that not many. That is why when Jesus is raised from the dead and the ladies come and tell the disciples that the tomb is empty, Peter is like, are you drunk? Are you crazy? Peter and the rest of the disciples that were in that room, they're asking him, are you out of your mind? At first, they did not believe these girls that indeed he was risen from the dead. But somehow they agree and come to terms with it. And then they run to the sepulcher and find that the man was not in the grave. And to show you that they were behind the schedule of heaven, the angels ask, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You should not be looking for him here. So how many people really knew what Jesus was up to? What God was up to in Christ? Not many people. And neither do many people understand the resurrection. If the people of the day of Christ, which walked with him, did not understand what was being done, what makes you think that people in 2021 really understand what the resurrection from the dead really means? There's one thing to assume that we understand, but how many people really understand what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is? That even at the resurrection, some walk with him, which had seen him, but they cannot recognize him. Not because his face has changed, but because there is a glory that they have not been invited into by revelation to discern the resurrected one. So what makes you think that it is easy for somebody living right now, if it was harder for the men that he walked with, how much more than the people which are living at this present time? That is why I don't blame people who think Jesus was not dead and raised from the dead. You can't blame them. That's why I don't blame people who don't yet understand the power of the cross and what that resurrection does for the Christian. Now, Paul is trying to tell us something here when we read uh, 1 Corinthians. Praise the Lord. And there are a few things that he's giving us to help us understand what the resurrection means. Number one, if we go back to the 16th verse, he says, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, number one, he says, your faith is in vain. You must understand that. That the resurrection of the Christ is the justification of why we believe. It's the sole reason why we believe. Somebody shout amen. amen. If we don't have the resurrection, if we cannot understand the resurrection, then we don't yet understand why we believe. Why we believe. Somebody shout amen. And for that reason, 
We cannot understand sonship. Because when we become born again, some people don't know that the place and mystery of sonship is in the revelation of the resurrection of the Christ. Oh, Romans chapter 1. Let's read something here. He says, I'm Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel, which he had promised afore by the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. He says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared, listen, to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. It gives him sonship. It gives us sonship. Because, see, the Bible says he's declared to be the son, not a son, but he's declared to be the son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That resurrection from the dead is a very definitive experience in the justification and vindication of the spirit of the Christ as the son of God. And now for as many as believe him, you and I, we are now given that right to become the sons of God. It's in that resurrection. Because that's where the mandate was. When he says it is finished, a lot happens as it goes to hell. Makes a public spectacle. Triumphing over all of them. He shakes them a note. And the Bible says and he's raised up. He gets the keys of what? Of death. And for that day, the hall of hell considered to the defeat of the Son of God. And now he comes to the church, gives us that power, gives us the keys, gives us that life, and we become what we become. So without the resurrection, our faith is in vain and our sonship is in question. This is what this season means. That is why I tell people, when it comes to Christmas and Easter for me, there are more days of reflection than there are days of celebration. And not that my heart does not celebrate those two experiences, but I so much want to go back a bit and contemplate and reflect and ask God, what is the meaning of this? What is that which I must know? Every Christmas, every resurrection week, every Good Friday, all of those days in what some of you call Easter, much as we have celebration, I take time to reflect and ask, what is it that is supposed to come to my spirit? How many people across the world have bought gifts, have shopped through supermarkets, have been emptied, and butchers of meat have been dried up because men have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars across the world. They're going to be one with their families. They're going to celebrate and make merry. Some are going to drink themselves out until Easter Monday when they can't even see the way back home. And how many really in the world understand the power of resurrection? How many people in the world understand what it means for Jesus to be raised from the dead? How many are taking time to reflect on that resurrection? Somebody shout hallelujah. Not many. Not many. Yet in that contemplation, in that reflection, is the power. When Paul is saying that I don't want to be found in him, having my own righteousness, 
but that it may be found in him. Paul is insisting on being found in him, not having his own righteousness, but in the righteousness which is of the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you realize it's the same scripture in Philippians where he emphasizes what it means to conform to his death, right? That he might experience the resurrection power as he fellowships in the sufferings, he experiences the resurrection power. He calls it the power of his resurrection. As Paul seeks to die to the self, he seeks to know him, comma, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Being made conformable to his death. But you see, how do we get there? In fact, it's the other way around. We are made conformable to his death and fellowship in his sufferings that we might see the power of his resurrection. Because his death precedes his resurrection. His sufferings precede his resurrection. So Paul began with that which is the end of a thing to go back to the beginning, heaven to earth. If you have listened to that sermon. So sometimes the language of the Spirit speaks so much that way. As God begins from the end of a thing and then comes back to the beginning. To this end was I born, Jesus says, and for this cause came I into the world. Those of you which are biblical scholars understand what I'm saying. People who love the word, you'd understand what I'm saying. But back to the story here. Paul says in Corinthians that firstly our faith would be in vain. All right? Now, listen to the second thing. Because our faith is in vain, then our sonship is in question. Praise the Lord. Second, he says that you are in your sins. You are in your sins. If Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then ye are in your sins. Now, let me ask the question. <laughs> if Jesus is raised from the dead, what are you into? What are you into? Righteousness. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why we say saints. <laughs> That's why we call you saints. That's why some churches say they are all saints. Praise God. Meaning that there is a recognition that we are not sinners but saints. Not because our mortal bodies have stopped sinning, but because our spirits are renewed in Christ Jesus born anew by reason of the death and resurrection of the Lord. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the old things are past and now the new, and all things are of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ takes away the sin of the world. So your inner man, we're talking about two people, your inner man, the Bible calls him the inner man, your inner man is born of God. Not your outer man. No, your flesh is born by your father and mother. Somebody shout hallelujah. But your inner man is born of what? Of God. That is the incorruptible seed of which you are born. Being born again, the Bible says in Peter, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. That is the inner man, the Bible says, which is born of God. And that is the man which the Bible says, which is born of God and cannot, does not deliberately commit sin. For the divine seed 
abides in him permanently. And that man cannot practice sinning because he is begotten of God. 1 John 3, 9. That man inside there cannot sin. No one, he says, begotten of God deliberately, uh -huh, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature, he says, abides in him. His principle of life, comma, the divine sperm, remains permanently within him, and he cannot, he says, he cannot practice sinning because he is begotten of God. That's the inner man. This is what the resurrection gives you. Not only does it give you a place of sonship, but it tells you that that inner man is without sin. But if you do not recognize the resurrection, then you are a sinner within and without. So when we preach the grace message, some people don't get this. When we preach the grace message, we are not saying that it is okay to sin. That's foolish. Because the cross is not a license to sin. Are you hearing me? But when we preach the grace message, we are saying that there is a separation between the man which is within and the man which is without, and both are fed differently. The man without physical flesh is fed by food, physical. If you want to keep that body, you keep it by food, right? The carnal man, this one, is given information. The appetites of the man without are different from the appetites of the man within. But you see, because the man without is by nature not an inheritor, of the kingdom of God. For the Bible says the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The man without is limited in many ways. And everything that works in that man is for death. That is why Paul says, though the outward man perishes, the Bible says, the inward man, the Bible says, is renewed daily. The inward man is renewed daily. Are you hearing me? And how is the inward man renewed daily? He's renewed day by day through the reading of the word. But because of the covenant, most importantly, as the covenant is available to him, this particular covenant is new in every eon. This particular covenant is new in every dispensation. There is no dispensation where it's not new. That is why it's the New Testament in 2021. It's going to be the New Testament in 2060. Jesus Christ is not back. It was the New Testament in 1992. It was the New Testament in 1965. Why? Because it does not grow old. Yet, the Bible speaks of the law as that which waxeth old and decayeth and is to be put away. That's the Bible, not my teaching. The teaching of the cross. Somebody shout hallelujah. So why we preach grace? Is that every day we are reminding the carnal man that there is a man inside there that does not live by the man outside which perishes and goes to nothing because he only can apply himself to the wisdom and ways of the world but there is a man within which is renewed daily because he's given the truth that man is established in present truth that man is not born in sin. When you were born again, that spirit man was activated. And in that activation, that man was born in true holiness, the Bible says, and righteousness. That's what the Bible says. You've put on the new man, which has been built or formed or created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24. The new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
true, 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 true. So that means no man without, however much he is true, can be true in holiness. There are many people who look so holy, but they're not going to heaven. There are many people who act so holy. They're so holy that even God sympathizes with them, but they're not going to heaven. Because true holiness is not in the works. True holiness is in that transaction of Christ at the cross raised and we in our hearts believing that he is dead and raised. That thing is so powerful that when the Bible speaks of the separation between the true ministers of God and the false ministers of God, he says no man can say that Christ is come in the flesh except by the Spirit of God. That is how we know the true Spirit of God and the false or demonic spirit. Are you hearing me? That's how we separate the true minister and the cult. Leave alone what they tell you. Leave alone what other people tell you. What is the biblical foundation of separating the cult and the true teacher? He says, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already it is in the world. Let me explain this. It's not in the man saying that Jesus is come in the flesh and he was raised from the dead. No. It's in the message of the man. When you listen to the message of the man in the total sense, if you've heard him for one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, one year, can you see the totality of that man actually saying that there is a place where the Christ is come in the flesh? Because you see, the mandate begins if the man can believe that he actually is come in the flesh. Because if we have no question of his coming in the flesh, then we cannot question the mandate. Are you hearing me? We cannot question the mandate. So why did he come in the flesh? Okay, we can all agree that he came in the flesh. We cannot question the mandate. The mandate is very clear because he is come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he says no spirit can confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh except that spirit is the spirit of God. If you use 1 John chapter 4 to judge what is true and what is not true, who is a cult, a false preacher, a false prophet, and a true prophet, you will be free from the deceptions of this world. So in the message we preach, does that message depict the death and resurrection of Christ? Because if it does, now let's go back to those of you which are mature. The doctrine would be of grace because it would emphasize the righteousness imputed by faith. But if the doctrine then is contrary, and at the end of every service, the man is left a sinner in need of a savior every day, then that man has a problem, except they're talking to a man which is not born again. But if the man is born again, a man which is born again is not in need of a savior. He is in a possession of a savior. The man which is born again should be in the need of the knowledge of that savior, but not the savior, because he has the savior within him. Somebody shout hallelujah. You cannot say, oh, you need Jesus. What do you mean by you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus like he's not inside you? No. When we say, I need you, Lord, we're not saying that he's not in us. We're actually singing, saying that we want to know him. 
want to have experiences with him. Are you hearing me? But you see, the most deceptive form of that statement, I need Jesus, is when we have become so alarmist, so scared, and call him out of fear. No, leave that for Peter trying to walk on water and sinking. This is the New Testament. The Bible says we in the bliss cry, Abba, Father, not in the fear. We don't call on the Father in fear. Thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. I know you might be watching and you don't even understand what I'm saying. But if it is true, then you're the one in trouble. I pray God helps you understand. I pray God helps you understand. But as you continue hearing, you'll understand. Somebody shout hallelujah. I know people who at first say, I don't understand you. Now they understand me. Praise God. But many of those don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the scriptures. Somebody shout hallelujah. But if you're hungry and you're a learner, you're a student, it comes. It always comes. God is gracious. God is simple. <laughs> hallelujah. Now, are you following what I'm saying? So when we're talking about doctrine, how do we separate the truth from fallacy, from lies and falsehood? You see, our message is supposed to impute righteousness on the man. And when it imputes righteousness on the man, then we start now dealing with the outer man, the flesh, to agree with your spiritual man. That is the pattern of the Bible to walk out of sin. But you see, some come and interrupt you when you're in the middle of trying to do the order of God and then want to push you back to emphasize the way of the law and that is destruction. Because by the law, the Bible says, no flesh shall be justified. Somebody shout hallelujah. By the law, no flesh shall be justified. When we preach the grace message, we are saying that this man is come in the flesh for the remission of sins. If you keep walking, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, then Christ is not raised. That's what you're saying. So you cannot continue claiming you're a sinner and you understand the power of resurrection. It cannot happen. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Let's continue. And he says now, they have the third thing. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That's serious. And he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. Why? Because the third thing it means that if somebody has died in Christ, that's their end. That is their end. If somebody is dead in Christ, that's their end. There will never be a resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection of the Christ is the only guarantee for those which are dead in Christ to be resurrected. And any man which is dead in Christ will be resurrected because we believe in the resurrection of the Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. And that is why he continues down in verses 20. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by one man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So the resurrection of the Christ is the justification of the resurrection of any man which is dead in Christ. That means if you believe in the resurrection, you cannot believe that any man which has died in Christ will stay dead. That's so powerful. That is why we don't fear death. 
That is why some of us, the devil fears to kill us. Because we don't fear death. You see? Because to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord. A Christian should not fear to go to heaven. A Christian should fear to go to heaven without fulfilling their assignment. That's what the Christian should fear. Every Christian should breathe until they can say it is finished. Every Christian. That's why I decree upon your life that the devil will not touch you until it is finished. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Shout amen. amen. So, in all of this sum of things, Paul concludes. Let's read in the Amplified. If in this life, remember, if Christ is not dead, then we don't have faith. That means we're not sons of God. Then we're still sinners. And if a man dies, there is no resurrection for them. And Paul concludes, verses 19. He says, for if we who are abiding in Christ have hope only in this life, and the three things I've mentioned above are not so, then we are of all people most miserable and to be pitied. Read the message version. The message version says, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, and then Paul says we're a pretty sorry Lord. Jesus is not just an inspiration. Jesus is not only an inspiration. We're not just in a little excitement for a few short years. We're not to be pitied. We know whom we have believed. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. This resurrection week is the week that always reminds me that I'm not disadvantaged. This resurrection week is the week that reminds me that I'm not alone. This resurrection week is the week that reminds me that I'm a son of God. This resurrection week is the week that reminds me that my faith is not in vain and it is available to do miracles, signs, and wonders. That is why we preach the gospel the way we preach it. Because we know of that power that raised Christ from the dead and now is resident in the inside of us. That power cannot leave cancer in your bones. That power cannot leave death in your bones. That power cannot fail to fix your marriage. That power cannot fail to fix your family. That power cannot fail to fix your body. It cannot fail to fix your finances. It cannot fail to fix your education. It cannot fail to fix your ministry. That is why we celebrate this season but with a reflection that our faith is not in vain. With a full assurance that one day if Jesus Christ is not yet back, should we slip out of our body, there is hope for a resurrection, a greater resurrection where one body becomes another. Somebody shout hallelujah. Celestial becomes celestial. We are not of this world even though we are in this world, that is why he told us when we enter this world, we are the heads and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the light of the world. We are the city set on a hill. We are the salt of the earth. We are the answer. 
We are the solution. We are the wisdom. We are the power. We are the glory. We are every beautiful thing. He says that we are the perfection of all beauty. Why? Because now God resides in the inside of us. So when Jesus said, it is finished, it meant now I'm bringing many sons to glory. When Jesus said, it is finished, he says that I have given them a face that they can trust. I've given them something that can move mountains, level mountains and raise valleys. I've given them something that will speak to one mountain and tell it, be thou removed from yonder place and be thrown into the sea and nothing shall be impossible with them. It is finished. So the power of possibility with the heavenlies is not a question. It's a finished work. He is saying that their sins are carried at the cross. And that now there is no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ has set them free from the law of sin and death. And now men are at liberty not to live according to the flesh. For if they live according to the flesh, they shall surely die. But if by the spirit they kill the transactions of the body, they shall live. And they live only by the spirit. And because they're justified through faith, they only live by faith. They just live by faith. They don't live by what they hear. They don't live by what they feel. They don't live by what they see. They don't live by what the doctors say. They don't live by what the government says. They don't live by the economies of the world. They don't live by the education status they don't live by their connections no they live by faith and if any man draw back i shall not have pleasure in him why because i have finished it and i've set him on a course where he can only live by faith it is finished and whether you question whether you're going to go to heaven or not if you're a believer that question is finished you are going to go to heaven that's why i told people if you ever reach heaven and look and look and fail to find apostle grace, you're not in heaven. You're somewhere else. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is the confidence that I have in him, that he which began that good work in me, he shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. I can imagine if Jesus was not raised from the dead, what a desperate and pitiful and miserable world that would be for them which followed God. But God would not let it because it's not in the nature of God to lose. He is a winner all through. Praise God. And it's through that power that we win. It's through that power that we win. I just want us to thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell God I thank you for the meaning of these things and what that implies to my family, to my house, to my ministry, to my body, to my nature. Come on, thank him. Thank him. Thank God for sending Jesus. Even as you celebrate tonight the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, may you walk with the reflection, the contemplation, the revelation of what that has given you by Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And we bless you, O God, because we're your sons and daughters. And the life which is of God is now resident in the inside of us. But our faith is not in vain. It is with fruit and results. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because we are transformed by your word. We are changed by your story. 
and testimony. Thank you, O God, that we are not in our sins, but we are in the righteousness of God, and that there is hope for the resurrection of them which sleep or are asleep in you. Those things are enough for us to live. Those things are enough for us to celebrate, but in the revelation of that grace. And out of that power, then I speak healing to them which are sick, to rebuke devils to them which are bound, to speak freedom to them which are in bondage. And I decree and I declare that great days are ahead of you. Whatever your need is tonight, mention it in these seconds. And God is meeting it wherever you are. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ as I finish, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. You say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.